Amen. Thank you, Susan. I love being your buddy. <laughs> um, Susan said, yes, I have two kids. Um, our daughter, Hannah, is 16. She's a sophomore. And our son, Cameron, is 19, and he's away at college. Um, he's actually in Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy. Um, it is a college, um, so he has the academic part of that. But because it's a military college, there's also a military aspect to his school. So he has military training that he has to do. Um, and one of the parts of military training is learning a lot about the men and women that went before him who served our country. And he called a couple of nights ago, and he was saying how um, his class picks um, an exemplar and um, they're going to be voting pretty soon on who their exemplar was going to be. And so Phil and I are like, what is an exemplar? And he said, well, basically, it's someone that has uh, the values and character traits that you want to live by. It's someone that they choose that has served in the military, that has all of these traits that they basically want to mold their life after um, through the four years of school and then after that as they go and they serve our country and our nation and, and us. So he started to tell us about a man that he um, wants to vote for to be there to represent their class as a whole. And his name is John Campbell. You can read about him. I'm not going to go into too much detail. But what was so great about this man was that, um, one, he was, he was an Air Force airman, and he went on this mission to Afghanistan, and he went with some Navy SEALs. And on this mission that they were on, um, it kind of took a left turn. Their journey... Um, went a different route than what they were expecting, and they got shot down in their helicopter, and they crashed. After they crashed, they were attacked by all, by like three different directions the enemy started coming in. And this John Campbell, what he did was he placed himself in between the enemy lines, he rushed forward, and between his men, and he rescued all of them. He gave his life so that the others could be saved. He was um, awarded the Medal of Honor, which is a huge honor to get. Um, he actually died in 2002 in March, which is the same year and month that my son was born. Um, when I started thinking about this, this is great that we have this exemplar in our military heroes that have gone before us to save our lives, but we have a better exemplar. Our exemplar is Jesus Christ. He's the one that gave the ultimate um, sacrifice to die for you and I. And that's who we look for. That's who we look to to live our lives by. But in the same way, the study that we did this week in Exodus 14 and 15, we're going to see that the Israelites, their exemplar was God. And we see in this story that we had this week that they were going to get attacked on all sides, but it was God alone that stood in between them and saved them. And so this, today, we're going to look through Exodus 14, all of 14 and part of 15. And I know this is a very familiar story to all of you. All of us have heard the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And so my prayer has been this whole last couple of months as I've been studying this passage that we can look at this story that happened and it can change the way that we respond to what God did for us. So if you could all open up your Bibles, I'm going to read through Exodus 14 and if you could just follow along with me, I want to remind you that as we're coming into Exodus 14, verse 1, um, God has already started to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're on their way. And what happens in verse 1 is God is going to inform Moses on his plan of what he is going to do. 
So verse one says, then Yahweh said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-ha-haroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-zephon. You shall camp you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-haharoth in front of Baal-zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to, to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, to leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." God is redirecting the plans here and he's placing them in an absolutely hopeless situation because he wants to display his glory and he wants to display and show them that he alone is God. And you have to understand that the Egyptian military is one, was the strongest military in the world at this time. And the Egyptians, the Israelites knew that. I mean, they had been under slavery underneath them and they totally understood what they were coming up against. They didn't have a trained army. They didn't have any chariots. And so it looked like a desperate situation. But in our passage, it talked about how the Israelites were marching out, it said, defiantly. But you have to understand this word defiantly, it meant boldly, with confidence. And so they were leaving Egypt and they were confident in where they were going. They were following Moses and things were great. But then as soon as they encountered something, they started freaking out. It says in verse 11, what have you done to, to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die. You see, the, the Israelites, they only saw two options here. Their option was one, they could go, they, go back and be slaves in Egypt or two, they were gonna die. They had completely forgotten everything that God had done at this point. God had had um, the plagues, the Passover, his presence was with them all the time, and he had promised all of these things to them. The only thing left that he hadn't fulfilled was taking them into the promised land. So they had forgotten all of that. God kept his promises. His promises are not guesses, but they're guarantees. Yet they replaced their faith in God and his promises with fear. They basically looked at God and said, I don't trust you. They failed to realize that the God that led them out of Egypt, he didn't get the directions wrong. He had them right all along. They needed to trust that God's plans are perfect. And that's what we need to do as well. When we walk into unforeseen circumstances, when our paths change, we need to trust that God's plans are perfect. That's number one on your outline. When you and I became Christians, we were never guaranteed that the path that we go on is gonna be perfect. 
Jesus said in John 16, 33, in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I understand that we're not gonna have an Egyptian army coming after us. It's not like we're in the military and we're gonna have people coming out after us with guns to our heads or anything, but you and I have all had a time in our life where we're going along and things are great, and then all of a sudden our plans change course. Something happens. If it's a doctor's appointment that a test comes back and now you're faced with cancer and chemo treatments, or maybe a husband that left you and said he doesn't love you anymore, or it could be during this COVID time, something happened with your job or your husband's job, and now you're faced with all of these financial situations. If you and I are gonna go through tough, scary, and unforeseen circumstances, we need to not freak out, but we need to fix our eyes on who is leading us and where we're heading. They had completely taken their eyes off the promised land. Pastor Mike always says we need to remember it's not about the here and now, it's about the then and there, and that's where our focus needs to be. So my question is, what do we do when we are faced with unforeseen circumstances? When God, when there's a different path that we're going down that we didn't expect. And I want you all to turn with me to Philippians 4. Philippians 4 um, is a perfect way of how we are to respond. So Paul is writing this while he's in prison. So of all people in the world that would know, I mean, he went down a path he wasn't expecting, and he's going to tell us how we should respond when our circumstances aren't how we want them to be. In Philippians 4.4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everybody. Paul's in prison and his circumstances stink. But what is he saying? He's saying we need to rejoice in the Lord. And he's not saying just rejoice in the Lord sometimes. He's saying always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This word reasonableness means to stay calm when things aren't going as planned. So you're to rejoice and stay calm. And why are you to do that? You need to let, let that be made known to everyone. And that's because the way you respond to these difficult circumstances that's gonna be placed in your life, and if they aren't now, we all know that at some time in our life they will, the watching world is watching how you're gonna respond. It's a witness, and it says that the Lord is at hand. God is right next to you, and none of this is a surprise to God with what you're going through. Verse six says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what happens when something happens? Do you go to your girlfriends or do you go to God? The first thing you should do is drop to your knees. There's a woman in our group, I love how she says that, like in their house, if the keys are missing, she says, we drop and we pray. That should be how our life is. Anytime there is something that happens in our life, the first person we need to go to is God. Verse seven says, if you do this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to trust that God's plans are perfect. Things won't make sense and they may stink, but we need to focus on Christ and his promises. And it's easy for us to read this passage like I did at first and I looked at the Israelites and I was like, stupid, what are you guys thinking? You know, because we know what comes next, right? We know in the story that God's gonna do this miraculous parting of the Red Sea and they're gonna be just fine. But if we're real with ourselves, we've all been there. We've all been at that moment where something happens 
But then hindsight, we're able to look back at that situation that went on in our lives and we're like, oh, that's what you were doing. And it's not necessarily that he rescued you from the situation, but he probably sanctified you in the process and he made you more like him. Romans 8, 28 tells us that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is a promise to us, but it's a promise to those of us that are Christians. It says for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if you're a Christian, then all things work together for good. Bad things will happen, but all things work together for good. Romans 8, 29, it goes on to say, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's the sanctifying part of our lives, right? We need to trust God that when things happen, that he might be molding you to be more and more like him and how you respond to these circumstances. God didn't bring the Israelites out of Egypt to abandon them in the wilderness and the same goes for us. So Moses is going to talk to them in our passage and he's going to reassure them that they don't need to be consumed with this fear. God, Moses wanted them to replace their fear in the Egyptians and place their trust in God. And that's what we're gonna see in Exodus 14, starting in verse 13, and I'll read that for you. This is the, um, the culmination of the story of the parting of the Red Sea. And um, this is when God displays his power to them and how he is going to save them. Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Yahweh said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the... And then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and Yahweh drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, Yahweh and the pillar of fire of cloud looked down on the Egyptians' forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it. Yahweh threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. 
Thus, Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians, so the people feared Yahweh, and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses. I don't know about you, but when we get to heaven, I wonder if there's a way that we can replay and watch some of the miracles that happened. If there is one miracle that I want to see, this is it. You know, I, I watched a few movies on the parting of the Red Sea. They're a little not correct, a lot not correct. Um, but just trying to get, you know, a visual, they don't stand a chance compared to what it actually happened. God alone was fighting for them, and they didn't have to do a thing except for when God said go, they had to obey and go. God wanted them to turn from fearing the Egyptians and place their trust and confidence in God. And I want you to notice that angel of the Lord, um, the pillar of cloud that was leading them this whole way in, in this story, it moved from leading them to going in between them and the Egyptians. See, Pharaoh wasn't fighting against Moses. He wasn't fighting against the Israelites. Pharaoh was fighting against God, and God wanted him to know that. Remember back when Pharaoh said, Lord, who is this Lord? It's at this moment that God said, you want to know who I am? You're going to know who I am. The Egyptians are going to know who I am, and the whole world is going to know who I am. The Israelites' eyes were fixed on the Egyptians with fear in the beginning of our passage, but now all they can see are dead Egyptians. They went from fear of their predicament to fearing the Lord, and it says that they believed and you know, on the other side of the Red Sea, they had to have been in awe of what just happened. Number two on our outline, we need to be awed by God's power to save. It's crazy to think that God not only delivered the Israelites on this day, but he destroyed the enemy. Tim Keller had a great, um, Pastor Tim Keller had a great teaching on this passage and he made a comment. He said they all crossed over, but that doesn't mean that they all crossed over with the same disposition. And I thought a lot about that. Like, what did it look like as they were going through? Were they just like all like, okay, we're like crossing through water, you know, here we go. And Tim Keller said, you know, there were probably a lot of them that were going through going, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Do you see what's happening? God is for us. Eat your heart out, Egyptians. This is amazing. He is our God. He goes, but then there were probably some others that had their hands over their eyes going, well, I'm going to die, 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 right? And so we don't know. But how good would it be for us to go through that with confidence? You know, what he said was they had different qualities of their faith, but they were all equally saved. Why? Because you're not saved because of the quality of your faith, you're saved because of the object of your faith, Salvation is not about what you can do. It's all about what Jesus has done. Jesus takes our punishment, our wrath, our judgment that you deserve for our sin, and he conquered death through his resurrection. And you receive all the benefits and blessings, not by your efforts, but because of his. And that should make us go, wow. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There was no one that could boast about what just happened at the crossing of the Red Sea, because God did it all. And you can't boast in your own salvation, because Christ did it all. 
So what or who do you place your trust in? And in our story, we have, we have different people in here. We've got Pharaoh, and I'm, I'm praying that none of you are Pharaohs. I mean, you're coming to Bible study, so you believe in God, right? You're here, you believe in God. Pharaoh denied God completely. But you know, we have a lot of Pharaohs in our life, and we need to be witnessing to them because we don't know how much time we have, if it's either through their death or when Christ comes back. Because you'll notice that um, God did lose his patience. His patience went away, and the wrath came upon the Egyptians. And we don't know how much longer we have to witness to those pharaohs in our life. So I encourage you, invite them to church. Invite them to Bible study. Talk to your neighbors. Um, Christmas coffee. We have so many opportunities coming up at church. The Christmas musical. Those pharaohs in your life, invite them. Talk to them. But then there's the Israelites. In the beginning of the passage, I was frustrated with them because I'm like, what is going on? You've, you're, you're looking back at your old life. You, you're saying that you would really rather be slaves in Egypt? And so I wonder, like, how many of, of you are in that position where you're still a little bit trusting in yourself and you're not willing yet to fully place your trust in Christ and give it all to him and trust in him alone? Ladies, if you're there and you have not completely turned, can you please talk to someone today? Talk to your leader. Find someone to talk to about it. Place your trust completely into Christ and what he did. And then there's a lot of us here that you are Christians. And there's times in our life, circumstances that take a left turn. And we're frustrated. But can I tell you that if he's mighty to save you, from your sin, he's mighty to save you from your circumstances, and we need to trust in that. You know, one of the things that I love that we do here at Compass Bible Church is our baptisms, and it's an opportunity to come and to listen to the testimonies of men and women and kids that God grabbed a hold of their lives and he changed them. He took them from darkness to light, and we get to hear the stories of how God did that. If you have placed your trust and your faith in Christ and you have not been baptized yet, you should. I mean, that is you declaring what God did for you. And so I encourage you, just go sign up, click the button, fill out the form, take that step of faith. They get up in front of everyone to declare what God did for them. And that's what we're going to see what happens in Exodus 15. At the end of um, the Israelites being saved, can you imagine what the conversation sounded like on the other side after it all happened and they saw what God just did and everyone dead? Well, in chapter 15, we see exactly what they did. They stood on the other side of the Red Sea and they looked up to heaven and they praised God. Moses led them in a song and it was all about what God had done. Had nothing to do with Moses. It was all about what God had done just to save them. And I'm gonna ask you all right now if you could just shut your eyes and I'm gonna read to you this song and I want you to know that this is a song that they sang to God, and it's not just this one-time instance. This is something that they sang over and over and over again on their journey to the promised land. So shut your eyes, and I'll just read it to you. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to Yahweh, saying, I will sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. 
Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahweh, glorious in power, your right hand, O Yahweh, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them. You have led them in your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized in the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Yahweh, pass by, to the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Yahweh, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Yahweh, which your hands have established. Yahweh will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, Yahweh brought back the waters and the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. They gave all glory to God for what he had done. And they sang to him. Can you imagine what that worship sounded like? Millions of Israelites lifting up their voices, singing praises to God. I'm sure we've never been to a worship service like that before. We've been to concerts, right? Where you hear things like that. But have you ever been to a worship service like that? They verbally declared God's wondrous works by singing to him. And number three on our outline, if you have been saved, then you need to do the same thing. We need to verbally declare God's wondrous works. They busted out in song because of something that God did for them. I'd like for you all to turn to 1 Peter 2, and I want to tell you why um, the Bible says that this is what we're supposed to do. It's not an option. It's not something that if you feel like it, it's something that we are called to do. Um, with two teenagers in the house, we get the, they get the question a lot, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your life? And Cameron, as he's a little older, you know, he is really starting to think about that. He has said, well, I want to be a rescue combat officer. And he was like, well, maybe I want to do like medical stuff. And now he's like, well, maybe I want to be a pilot. And if you ask Hannah, her goal all along was she, I'm going to be a gymnast. I'm going to be a professional gymnast. And then life took some left turns with her health and she wasn't not going to be able to do that anymore. So now she's like, well, I think I'll be an interior designer. That's what I want to be. And these are things that we, you know, say we want to do, right? Like our jobs. We're like, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a wife. You know, I have a job. I raise my kids. And these are all great things that we're to do. And we are to do these things in our life. But it's not the reason that you're here. 
And that's what 1 Peter 2 is going to tell us. The main reason that you and I exist isn't for our jobs. It's not for our husband. It's not to raise our kids. The main reason you are here and your purpose in life is to proclaim Christ. Your life isn't about you. Your life is about him. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Your life isn't about you, it's about him, and we are to be declaring what he has done in our lives and what he has done. There's many ways that we can do that, right? Um, if, if this is our goal in life and our purpose in life, what we're supposed to do, it's not, I mean, I know in, in this passage, it's talking about singing and praising God, and we have opportunity to do that here at Bible study and at church, but there's ways that we can do that throughout the week, right? I mean, it could be in um, having conversations with friends, proclaiming what God has done in your life. It can be through baptism, letting everybody know what God has done in your life. It can be through a text message or maybe a social media post, but it's also through singing, and that's exactly what they did. Carlin gave us some songs a couple of weeks ago of worship songs that we could be listening to. And so we have a choice that when you're doing laundry or you're cleaning your house, play praise music. When you're going on a walk, you know, you play praise music. Things that are just talking about God's glory and what he has done. When you're in your car, you have a choice what you wanna listen to. But we also have a choice when we come to church to praise God. And when we come to Bible study, to praise God through worship. There are three clear examples of what worship looks like in the Bible, and that's what I want to um, show you today. Three different ways that we can worship God and how we should worship God. The first one is um, in Exodus 15, I want you to notice that they worshiped God for who he was. They mentioned God's name 13 times his name was mentioned in Exodus 15 when they were singing to him. Verse 1 says, I will sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed. Verse 2, Yahweh is my strength and he's my song. He's my salvation, my God, my Father's God. Verse 6, Yahweh, you're glorious in power. He's powerful. Verse 11, who is like you, Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Verse 13, Yahweh is love, and he's strong. He guided them by his strength. Verse 18, Yahweh will reign forever and ever and ever. So I ask you, when you're praising God, how much of you are praising him for his attributes? We, we should be doing that in our prayers. We should always be praising God for who he is. But when we are praising God in song and we're singing about who he is, are you fully invested in talking about you are singing to the creator of the universe? You know, um, when the worship team comes up here to sing, it's not a concert. They're not up here to sing for our pleasure. They're here to lead us in us worshiping the creator of the universe. And it should cause us to, one, be here on time for worship. When we're worshiping God and we're singing to him, don't be talking to other people. You know how irritating it is when I'm trying to talk to my kids and they're off looking someplace else or they're doing something else. I'm like, look at me and talk to me. I'm speaking to you. And so when we're worshiping, we should be giving God all the respect and honor that he deserves because we're singing for an audience of one. Number two, I want you to recognize that when they worshiped, they worshiped him specifically for what he had done. 
in chapter 15, they went through and they were telling him specifically, thank you, God, for Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down in the depths like a stone. So when we're singing songs to God and it's like, thank you, God, for saving me, do you contemplate that moment that he actually saved you? Or are they just empty words that are coming out of your mouth? We need to be thinking specifically of the things that God has done in our lives and offer those up to God. The third one that I want you to notice is that um, and the Bible is very specific about how we need to be fully invested when we are singing praises to God. I want you to turn with me to Revelation 19. We're going to look at that, and it's going to show us what worship is going to look like in heaven. Throughout the Bible, when God saves, people sing to him. It happens all the time. In Revelation 19, it's gonna, this is what it's going to look like. Uh, my daughter Hannah at Revival, her favorite thing, um, I shouldn't say her favorite thing, but one of her favorite things about Revival is worship night. She said there's nothing like it. There's one thing when like you, after a church service and you're singing, but she said it's all about the worship. And she said there's something about it that her heart, her soul, and her mind is, is into it. It's, she feels like it's something that's just between her and God, pouring out her heart to him. And she loves worship night. We have hymn sing here at Compass Bible Church. The next one is in March. I encourage, yeah, we've got some hymn sing people out there. Um, it's an opportunity just to come and sing praises to God. But what does that look like? This is what it's going to look like in heaven. Revelation 19.1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah. You know what hallelujah means? It means to praise, to boast, to cheer on God. Why are they doing this? Because salvation and glory and power belong to God for his judgments are true and just. Verse three, once more they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who were seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then, a, then, then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah. Have you ever heard a thunderstorm? Yeah. You know, whenever we have California, we don't have a lot of those. I, in Oklahoma, we had them all the time. I loved them. Thunderstorm, thunder happens. You feel it in your heart and soul. This verse is saying that there is a sound voice of a great multitude. There is, everyone is praising God. And it sounds like the roar of many waters and thunder. They are crying out for the Lord, our mighty God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Ladies, when we're singing to the creator of the universe, we need to be fully invested in praising God to him. I'm not saying that we should be screaming or we should sound like thunder. That's what I'm saying. But I think what this passage is talking about is they're not thinking about anything else but God and what he's done. And that's what it's gonna look like for us. Like I said earlier, that there are many ways that we can verbally declare God's goodness in our lives, and it's not just twice a week here at Bible study or at church. Um, we should be doing whatever we can do to express our gratitude for God, for what he has done for us, but um, we do have a privilege 
to come together corporately as a group and to sing praises to God here on Wednesday mornings and again on Sundays. And I would just ask and I just pray that you guys would make that a priority. It is a priority. That's what we should be doing. As a result of what God has done in our lives, we need to be praising him for what he has done. It's how the Israelites chose to respond to their deliverance and it should be ours as well for ultimately rescuing us from our sin problem. So I think it's appropriate. Um, I asked our worship team if they would close us in a song of praising God. And so I'm gonna ask them to come up um, and I'm gonna pray for you. I pray that this study that we've had in Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, that um, you'll just look at it with different eyes. If you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that today is the day and that you will talk to someone. If you have, I pray that you respond appropriately for God saving you. I'll pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we just come before you with such grateful and thankful hearts for one, for your word. You gave us your word so that we can know you. We can know what you have done and, um, and you gave us your son to save us from our sins, God. God, I thank you for this women's Bible study that we have that we can come together, that we can be iron sharpening iron and um, push one another along when we do hit snags in the road and we go down a left turn, God, that you reassure us that you alone are God and you alone can get us through that, God. And I just, I pray for our time together in our groups, God, and as we go on our way every day, praising you and worshiping you. We pray these things in your name, amen.